under Australasian Law, simpletonpodcasts.com is obliged to warn you that the following presentation alludes to weird apparitions, spectral disturbances, and infamous infamy. Listeners suffering from flamboyant elongation are advised to switch off now. My name is Dale E. Richardson, and I've seen things you wouldn't believe. My life's work has taken me to all corners of the globe. I've had face-to-face experience with UFOs, aliens, creatures of legend, and have performed countless exorcisms, both with and without Vatican approval. I am here to tell you such phenomena exist in our time and should be treated with discernment and veracity on behalf of humankind. There is one man whose sole purpose is to investigate the vortex between the natural and supernatural. There is one. It's me, Dale E. Richardson. Ghosts. The word alone, especially in its plural form, is enough to cack the proverbial trousers of even the most ardent skeptic. Ghosts. 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 Are they the spirits of those departed? Are they active on a conscious level, or are they, as many would postulate, Nothing more than psychic recordings from times past. Could they be a form of spectral child molester? Or alternatively, demons? In order to delve further into the aforementioned, I decided to accept an invitation to undertake an overnight investigation of a notoriously haunted house. A hive of ectoplasmic scum and villainy. The Morton Homestead in Avondale Heights, Melbourne, Australia, has long been thought of as haunted. Built in 1907 by Notre Morton, the son of a wealthy prick and cobbler, the spacious single-storey residence was placed upon a sprawling property. This isolated estate is at first glance an unspoilt slice of paradise. But a look behind its facade would reveal a steaming chamber pot of fourth-dimensional paranormality. In August of 1952, Mr. Morton, a bachelor to the last, died peacefully in his sleep of a massive slit throat. Though it would keep its name, the property was sold off to the highest bidder and has been a hive of paranormal fuckduggery ever since. 
Between 1955 and 1971, the property was inhabited by Reginald and Charlotte Anders. Though the early stages were apparently eventless, it was clear by the early 60s that not all was as it seemed. The pair told friends repeatedly of disturbing phenomena that they had witnessed from out of nowhere, including on one fateful evening, huge ghost-like floppy dongs descending from the ceiling. <laughs> Meanwhile, a journal kept by Charlotte Anders during the period included numerous references to disturbing happenings such as strange guttural noises, levitating objects that on occasion became projectiles, terrible ghost-like odours of unknown origin, cold spots and even recurring apparitions of the late Daryl Summers. Almost all of which, according to Mrs. Anders, occurred after sundown. So unnerved was the pair that in June 1968 they enlisted local Catholic priest Father Ivan Kalashnikov to visit the house one evening and give it an official blessing. According to official documents from the local rectory, the heavily armed Father Kalashnikov who had instructed the pair to wait out the front of the house while he undertook the ceremony, left prematurely without a single word as to why. He had apparently heard what he would later describe as unearthly voices with nothing but prickery on their sick minds, which had addressed him by his first name before instructing him to piss off. Reginald Anders died of ostensibly natural causes on his living room sofa in July 1971. He was found dead of an apparent heart attack in a reclining chair, his head twisted 2,740 degrees around due to his spasms. As so often happens, his wife Charlotte died a short time afterward, two weeks after the death of her husband, and on the very same sofa upon which Reginald had breathed his last. The cause of death was ruled as cardiac arrest brought on by an axe through the forehead. Clear! Don't you die on me! Clear! But if that wasn't enough, their living room had in fact been adapted from the bedroom of the original owner, Notra Morton, meaning that three people had died in the same room inside of two decades. The room claimed its fourth victim in late 1990, Anne Prue, aged 106, died from a lethal cocktail of cocaine, smack, meth, weed, E, ice, glass, hash and brondicon. And 21-year-old widower who went on the record as saying that he was convinced that the house was haunted, told a local rag that his wife had been driven to despair by dark forces that resided deep within the house. He sold the property in 1992. Little is known of who then purchased it except that it was sold off a mere six years later. Margaret Houston, who has been living alone in the house since 1998, is the person who contacted me and requested the investigation. This is why. I'd heard it was supposedly haunted before I bought it. There was nothing unusual during the early part, but it all changed in 2003 or so. At first, it was little things that would happen on occasion. The sound of footsteps in the hallway, clip-clop, clip-clop, or taps turning themselves on. Once or twice, I even felt a kind of sewing action in my anusal region. There'd also be an odour that would spring up, and I'd never be able to find out where it came from. Over time, it became more frequent. There'd be banging and clanging out in the kitchen while I was in bed, and when I'd go to check it all out, I'd see that some menacing force had baked a full tray of pumpkin scones. 
but most hauntingly, there was never any strawberry jam. Before long, something was being baked every week. I eventually learned how to live with it all. I took to carrying a semi-auto browning 12-gauge around the house and blasting away at every sound or unexpected gust of wind, including some of my own. I guess people can adapt to anything. Mind you, that cat did not adapt very well to being blown into. Poor bugger. On occasion, I've also heard a male voice calling me a fat, lazy shitpan out in a hole when I knew that I could have been the only person in the house. And I've sensed a certain presence too, which is always accompanied by a sharp drop in temperature in the room, as well as a piercing feeling in my rectum. The only thing I haven't managed is to see it. It's never materialized before me, and I've never caught it on film. So I've borne witness to all sorts of paranormal phenomena during my time in the house, but it's a beautiful piece of real estate. And I won't be forced out. I guess I'd just like you to find out whatever you can about what's in the house and how it feels about me, what it wants. I'd also like to find out if it is safe to go into the room which I turned into my guest room. Four people have actually died in there and I don't want to be number five. <laughs> Though Margaret knew little of the homestead's overall history, she was well aware that the original inhabitant, Notre Morton, was not only a lifelong bachelor and suppository salesman, but also a well-known practitioner of the dark arts. Moreover, while generally open-minded, she was of the opinion that if not a poltergeist or demon, the mysterious housemate may be none other than the ghost of Morton himself. Now it was time to get down to business. Margaret would spend the night at the nearby Plunging Despair Caravan Park while I, accompanied by psychic investigator Kenny Fantasia and soundman Ray Thomas, would have the house to myself in order to conduct a thorough investigation. After an early dinner of potato cakes with sauce and a brief rendezvous with Margaret to finalise the mission, my three-man team headed out to the homestead upon the plateau as the mighty old Malbronong River glistened with its final beams of sunlight before the fall of dusk. At approximately 8pm with only our infrared night vision eyewear to guide us through the dark homestead, we began our investigation in the garage, located in the west wing of the homestead. But before we even had a chance to properly look around, our psychic investigator, Kenny Fantasia, offered this special insight. I'm, I'm getting something. Uh, uh, this, this place is where Morton parked his car. From the garage, we made our way into the lounge room, from which there was a walk around area to the living room and an open kitchen area. Kenny and Ray went left, I right. We met up a short while later in the open kitchen area and leaned over the large kitchen bench in silence. 
peering out expectantly into the large living room area. Then, from where Ray and Kenny were standing to my left, the silence was broken. Shit. Shit. Son of a Holy I swear, guys, something just rubbed across my ass. I do believe it was a hand. Son of a bitch. It was Morton. The ghost of Notre Morton is in our midst. Nah, but nah, mate, but it felt like a real hand. Damn you, Morton. You shall at once dispense with this child's play. Show yourself. Reveal thyself. Nah, Dale. Uh, I'm telling you, it felt like a real hand. A real hand. Whatever it was that had rubbed across the thigh of Ray, it had him spooked. But after he was able to calm himself down, we made our way across the living room to the entrance of the hall. The familiar weight of the unregistered Colt 45 in my coat pocket boosted my confidence. At the end of the hall, some 20 metres long, was the current guest room where four people had passed over. But before we got that far, Kenny claimed that he felt a psychic pull to the first room on the right. A laundry with adjoining dunny and bathroom. Where we now find ourselves is at a very interesting juncture. In what way, mate? There is no way. But alas, there is indeed a what. The only question is if there is any sign of in. In what way? Way. What. In. Hmm. Um, Dale, do you have any idea what Kenny's on about right now? What was that? It was Morton. He's waiting for us in the spare bedroom, further up the hallway. We must be cautious. His intentions are far from noble. From the laundry, we slowly made our way to the final room before the guest room at the end of the hall. The spare bedroom to which Kenny had referred. This is what transpired in the room. Yeah, so... And after you've cut the onions and the chilli into thin slices, then you throw them into a pan with the bay leaves uh, and the olive oil too. And then you cook them for about 20 minutes. Over low heat? Yeah mate, you have to do it over a low heat, otherwise the onions won't caramelise properly. That's right, isn't it Dale? So that's when you add the 150 mils of balsamic and also red wine vinegar, right? Yeah, that, yeah, correct, correct. Uh, then you add the sugar at the same time. From that point on, you let it simmer for about half an hour. By then, it should have thickened up enough to be ready to pour into the jars. Uh, you then leave it in the jars for up to a month. Then it should be ready for consumption. Yep, I've heard the same. But you have to be careful not to leave it more than six, four weeks. Uh, caramelised red onion chutney is a little bit like blue cheese. It's nice to let it mature, but you can't let it go too long, otherwise it gets too old. That's right, mate, uh, Dale. Yeah, that's exactly what my grandmother always told me, too. Upon exiting the spare bedroom, we turned right and headed down to the living room. Later, I would go all the way to the end of the hall and spend the night in the guest room alone. But first, we had important business to attend to at the dining table.
Using a Ouija board, we would attempt to establish contact with whatever it was that was inhabiting the house. We would each simultaneously place fingers on the planchette and allow any potential spiritual presence to answer our questions by helping us guide it around the board. Alright, let's do this thing. My name is Dale E. Richardson. The two men in my company are Ray Thomas and Kenny Fantasia. Is there an extra presence among us? If there is anyone present, please let us know. Is there anyone else present? Oh yeah, Dale. I'm here. It moved. I swear it wasn't me. Was it one of you? It's gone straight over to yes. Yes. I swear it wasn't me. F*** me dead. Jeez, what the hell? Who are you? We already know who it is, gentlemen. I've been telling you all along. Is it okay with you if we are here? Holy shit. Satan's tits, mate. This is, this is terrifying. I didn't sign up for this shit. How do you feel about Margaret Houston, the current owner of the ha- Hang on. Wait a sec. It's moving. S. C. O. R. N. I do believe that says scorn. Scorn? It means scone. Shit, I don't like this. I repeat my earlier question. Who are you? <sighs> Perry doesn't wish to divulge its identity. Are you the only spirit inside this house? Oh, I was moving again. No. How many beings from the spirit world make their home inside of this residence? Hang on, speaking again. One. Three. Shit, guys. Four of them. There are four of them. No, he means thirteen. Do you bear us, or for that matter, Margaret, ill will? Would you like to harm us? Holy shit. Oh. Shit, guys, that was, what the hell that was, was that? right behind. That was just right behind that us. Son of That was right behind me. Holy shit. Dale, I didn't sign up for this. This is bullshit. I didn't. I didn't. I'm Kenny, quite obviously overwhelmed by what had just happened, flipped the table over in a piss-weak fit of cowardly hysteria. He then turned around and ran from the house like a possum with its ass on fire. Ray and I would have to continue the investigation without the gutless prick. The final and longest part of the investigation would require Ray and myself to split up for the remainder of the night. My sound man, himself rather rattled by what had just happened, would spend a bit more time in the living room before bedding down on the couch near the side of our seance. Meanwhile, I was headed for the end of the hall where I would spend the rest of the night in the most infamous room of all, at the end of the Baron Hall. My first impression was that it was very cold, but I did not feel another presence in the room. I would soon retire to bed, but not before opening a line to the other side. If anyone or anything is present, make yourself known or forever hold your peace. 
at least until the morning. I plan to sleep on this bed here and I don't wish to be woken. I've been bothered by the paranormal before and it's way less cool and interesting than you might suppose. NRO personnel tend to have a drug first and finger later policy. Seriously, ghosts, after two weeks in the DUMB, your faggy poltergeist shit is really not all that interesting. So either pop up in front of the camera or get fucked. Time is money. Alternatively, you could just go and see Ray. Interesting. That sounded like a knock. But I need more proof. If there is no spirit being currently present in the room, I want you to knock again to prove that there was a rational explanation for the last knock. But if there is a spirit, I want you to do nothing this time around. Do not knock. And then I will know that the first knock was from you, the spirit being. Armed with a mountain of evidence and info to present to Marie Houston upon her return to the homestead in the morning, I climbed into the single guest room bed before lapsing into a troubled sleep. Though my sleep was uninterrupted, I was plagued by a series of terrifying dreams and visions about the house and its apparently numerous supernatural inhabitants. Some of them benevolent, some of them total pricks. During my chat with Ray at approximately 7am the following morning, he told me that he too had experienced similar dreams and visions. This is a recording of our conversation. Good morning, Ray. Did you have a good sleep? Yeah, mate. What about you? Yes, but I was plagued by a series of terrifying dreams and visions about the house and its apparently numerous supernatural inhabitants. I too had a series of dreams that were pretty much along those lines, Dale. Some of them were benevolent, some of them malevolent. Interesting. But for the life of me, I just can't remember any of the details. Yeah, me neither. Huh. Huh. Well, I guess we'd better prepare for the debriefing with Margaret. Margaret was impressed and grateful for our work. She bore no ill will towards any supernatural entities with whom she'd been sharing our house and hoped, in spite of the malevolent sentiment expressed in the seance, that peaceful coexistence would mark the way forward. She remained curious as to whether the ghost of Notre Morton was indeed involved in the paranormal activity, and she would continue to seek answers. Just as I have from the works of 19th century paranormal scholar Brigadier Dr. Sir Harren Dahl of His Majesty's 33rd Man of Grenadiers, mystic, poet, and first order philanderer. Should a civilized gentleman find himself in the presence of a spectral native of the netherworld, one is best advised to fix bayonets and with mind fixed firmly on king and country, utter a resounding Tally-ho! And pierce the vagabond's breast with his majesty's finest cold steel. In the regrettable case that the blighter is not of ectoplasmatic constitution, 
Proceed to plan B. Post haste. The investigation of the Morton homestead answered several important questions, but also created several other new ones. Two weeks after the seance was undertaken, that lardy-da soft cock of a psychic, Kenny Fantasia, suffered a well-deserved total nervous breakdown. He was found naked wandering the banks of the Lerderderg River and admitted into an institutional care. Ray, meanwhile, went back to his wife and family in Badagany West, where he still lives to this very day. Maybe, just maybe, the three of us would again join forces one day for another investigation. That is, if Fantasia can bring himself to get his gob off the collective teat of Melbourne's mental health service system. But until then, Dale E. Richardson will continue his work alone.